Hi everyone, and welcome to The Legend of Portalcast, a podcast dedicated to Avatar The Last Airbender, Legend of Korra, and all things Avatar. I'm Colin. I uh, just wanted to do this quick intro off the top of the episode. This is part two of our discussion on fauna and the animals of the Avatar world. Uh, be sure to uh, check out the first episode uh, in this if you haven't checked that out already. But without any further ado, we'll get right back into this. Thanks, guys. You know, I, I know we've kind of like we've talked, we've we've done a really fun deep dive into uh, into the turtle duck and with like these true hybrids. So, do you? I guess like, are there any other like true hybrids that you want to kind of touch on to kind of uh, round this out? Absolutely. Uh, there are some really cool ones. Some of them appear very briefly. Like we don't really get uh, with most animals outside of like uh, the animals we see for uh, wartime agriculture, just Appa and Momo. Um, there are a few really cool brief glimpses of some animals that I noted, um, when I went through back through the series, uh, probably my favorite one is at least according to its wiki page called the dragon moose. Um, so now cool. this animal, <laughs> yeah, it really is. So even though it's called a dragon moose, I'm not sure if it has true draconic features or if it's, it's just because of how it looks. Uh, but it certainly has either repti- arguably either reptilian or aquatic features of some kind on a moose. Um, and whether it's simply aquatic and fish-like or reptilian, either one is suggestive of a true hybrid. Um, there's a turtle seal. And again, we're seeing a mammal mixed with that uh, reptilian. Uh, we hear mention of possum chickens. <laughs> <laughs> Everything tastes like possum chicken. <laughs> Which is a really curious palette, too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that would be a mammal bird mix. Uh, and we get to see some other really cool ones. Uh, I really did like the the cat owl we saw and the chicken pigs. Um, oh, I mean, there were, like, so many different types of, like, pig, like, chicken hybrid type animals on that farm in Zuko alone. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was really interesting to see that, too, because, like, what it... This is a horrible thing for me to ask because I am a vegan, but I'm really curious what a chicken pig would taste like. That's <laughs> two very different types of meat. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know we we have something called turkey bacon, but it's not actually from a turkey pig, though. So it's like, <laughs> what would a chicken pig produce for me? Would it be mostly a red meat and be very, like, pork-like? Would it be lighter and be more like a white? Like, I these are questions I need answers to from the creators. <laughs> I want to know these things. I want to know the palette of these hybrid animals. Yes. <laughs> More questions for Mike and Brian. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, and so, the, yeah, so uh, we have our hybrid likes and our true hybrids um, based on the classification. Uh, but then, of course, there are some animals that are very hard to classify, and that's because they fall in a more spiritual or, like, a fantastic realm and that's our mythical creatures yes um <laughs> and i mean we could like i mentioned before we could probably fill an entire podcast with this yeah um it, it, it's 
it, it's so fascinating. And we kept glimpses of them throughout the series. Um, and, and we see them as, as both kind of hybrid and not. Uh, Hei was a really interesting spirit um, because Hei wasn't necessarily a hybrid, but did take on two very different forms. We see the black and white spirit, which is more monstrous and large. Um, but when Hei is just being Hei it's just a panda, which is a really... I get, I get the concept of, of black and white being a kind of like yin and yang uh, balance thing, but pandas are not my yin and yang animal. If you've ever seen a panda <laughs> in real life, there is no balance about that. I mean, don't get me wrong, great tree climbers, but that's about where their talent ends. Other than <laughs> eating, they don't have a lot. I literally, <laughs> I went to the DC Zoo when they were doing enrichment for the animals and they had they had taken milk crates and they had uh, they had smeared honey on the milk crates and because they, they wanted to make it challenging because milk crates have all those uh, it has that trellis like crisscross pattern. And so it would make the animal really work for the honey. And I walk over and here's this panda bear that has stuck the milk crate on its head. And just periodically you see its little tongue slither out between <laughs> the openings as it's just licking off the honey. And I'm just like, Oh God, how have you survived in the wild so long? Like, <laughs> uh, they're, they're fascinating animals to be sure, but it's, um, Hey, was a really interesting creature cause he was not a hybrid, uh, and he took on the form of a, of a very basic animal. Like a panda bear is not a hybrid. It's obviously a mimic of our world. Yeah. Um, he, he, like, hey, goes from like Cloverfield monster to like panda bear. It's in such a yeah. stark contrast. <laughs> it really is. Um, but of course we meet other ones. Uh, Ko's a bit of a, I, I don't even know what to classify Ko as. I don't know if Ko takes on the, creepy centipede like body because it's creepy or if that's what he has to have um by the way i i I actually had to look very closely because the way to tell the difference between a centipede and a millipede is how many legs per segment they have oh i actually had to sit there and and very carefully because there were not enough screenshots to help me but i'm pretty sure he's centipede (laughs) <laughs> well, because, I feel for you because those are all probably terrifying, creepy frames. <laughs> yeah. So uh, with centipedes, they will have one set of legs per body segment and the millipedes will have a pair of legs mm. per body segment. Mm. Or, yeah. Two pairs. Well, um, <laughs> sorry. My, my very enthusiastic insect loving husband, who's actually reading a book on insects behind me is uh, correcting me. Although, fun fact, centipedes and millipedes actually aren't insects because insects, true insects, only have six legs. Ah. So, more fun facts. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, again, this is why I stuck them under mythical because there is no easy way to determine anything about them. Like, I'm not even sure if they simply used a centipede-like body because it was creepy or if there is any significance to Kobe being a centipede in particular. Mm. Um. They can certainly be dangerous animals. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I really feel I like kind of like what you mentioned, and like I like going more with the theory that he like that was like it was more punishment in terms of like, uh, like, like that was the form he had to take in order to, you know, to have that kind of life because we we do find out and um just uh, uh for like the next like well uh, thirty seconds or so there are some spoilers from the comic The Search. Uh, which have you read that? Um, 
I got to read uh, some pages of it as a preview, but I I, I kind of spoiled it for myself because I wasn't sure when I was going to get a hold of it. And we've been <laughs> discussing so much stuff that I've actually gone and like for any comics I haven't read, I have gone and basically read the cliff notes mm-hmm. to make sure that I would be prepared for conversations. <laughs> so while I have not gotten to read all of it yet, I do know the premise of it, and I do know where Ko comes from. Yeah, so Ko does, uh, and this is kind of the spoiler note bringing it in, but Ko is the uh, the offspring of uh, basically this kind of like mother of like faces and mother of like like bodies that um, Ursa connects with and is able to change her body completely uh, because of it. And um, when Aang brings up the fact that he met Ko, uh, she is kind of like very intrigued because she hasn't seen him in like, you know, who knows how long. So it's this idea of, I feel like he was either went off on his own or was maybe like shunned by other spirits. Cause you know, if he was just innately taking people's faces, they're probably like, uh, yeah, no, we don't want you around. Cause like, we're not liking the fact that all of our faces are disappearing. <laughs> Well, yeah, and definitely, and, and you know, his, his and he obviously has the issues with his mom too. So, yeah. I mean, just in general, he rubs people the wrong way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and to be fair, people don't like centipedes that much either. So, I guess there was that, like. No, I mean, I've just found out that like they can creepy. they can grow up to like four or six feet long. Like a friend of mine was like in I think he was in the Dominican Republic uh, visiting a friend there and. He was like, yeah, apparently, like, there are, like, four-foot-long centipedes that, like, uh, come out and, uh, like, they have, like, a poisonous bite. And I was like, you didn't even have to tell me they had a poisonous bite. Like, just the fact of a four-foot-long centipede is absolutely horrifying to me. (laughs) That is nightmare fuel. Well, here's another learning moment. So, while centipedes can have poisonous claws... um, there is a distinct difference between poison and venom. Hmm. So, uh, and, and I mean, some people will know this. This is, I find this interesting how some people grew up with this and some didn't. And I want to say that it does seem like people who certainly grew up, uh, in more rural areas and more woodsy like places definitely got, uh, more of that environmental education because I didn't learn this until I was much older, way older than I should have been learning this. Um, so poison is anything you have to ingest or something that can come in contact with you. Um, so if you eat something like a plant and you get sick, you've been, it's, it's a poisonous plant. Or like poison ivy, you rub against it and the toxins like create rashes and things like that. That's poisonous. Uh, if the animal does have to bite you, though, uh, venom is injected. So, hmm. so uh, you know, very, a really common example is snakes. Uh, there are species of snakes that are venomous. They will bite you. Um, and they will, you know, potentially kill you. Um, fun fact, there are also poisonous snakes. I believe there's, uh, uh, two species of poisonous snakes and they get their poison from their diet. Um, hmm. so snakes run a pretty broad gamut of danger. <laughs> Jeez, that's crazy. Um, <laughs> so, so the, you know, we've, we talked about, uh, like Hey and, uh, Ko the face stealer, but like. I you you also mentioned like you know we have the knowledge seekers in like in Wan Chi Tong's library, and you know both Wan Chi Tong and the the uh, the knowledge seekers are just these kind of regular animals, but seemingly with more to them. Yeah, absolutely, and 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 it's it's again it, it leaves me with so 
many questions because uh, the knowledge seekers are have that fox-like appearance, um, not even a hybrid appearance. And so it, it does make me wonder to some degree because, I mean, of course, we don't see much of a, a more origin story until we see Korra. Mm. Um, so the question for me becomes, are the knowledge seekers based off of natural foxes that existed in the world or do exist in the world? Or are foxes based off of knowledge seekers? Like we do mm. see a little bit in Korra where we get hints of some bits of origin story and we see where some animals come from. Um, but we don't really see, you know, was the spirit world and the natural world born side by side? Do they influence each other in any way besides magic? You know, do does the evolution and development of appearances, are they based off the world's magic? Do these two worlds influence each other? You know, there's a lot of questions that I really need answers to. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, you know, when we're talking about like mythical creatures, we, I mean, we got to talk about the lion turtles because I mean, absolutely, they're like the clearly the most mythical out of all of them. I mean, we get a glimpse of the, like a lion turtle in Avatar The Last Airbender, but then we find out like the massively significant role that they had in this world and with bending in general in Legend of Korra and the um, basically the origin stories with Avatar 1. There, there's so, you know, it, it was such a treat to be able to see that too when we finally did see more with the lion turtles in Korra and seeing the beginnings. But if we're only looking at Avatar The Last Airbender, um, it just kind of pops up out of nowhere mm. um, as far as we can tell. Uh, but at the same time, uh, these are animals that are pretty well steeped in true culture and true origin when we're looking at the very strong Asian influence. Um, probably the easiest parallel that people makes that people make are uh, the legends of the world turtle, mm-hmm. uh, an animal that literally bears the world on its back. Um, granted, these guys are on a little bit more of a smaller scale, but it, 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 it all harkens back to creation myths and beginnings of worlds and how entire cultures are influenced and these are the most influential animals on the planet because they give the world bending Mm. and we literally have talked about how bending uh uh changes the entire face of cultures and and how the loss of bending in some cultures like the southern water tribe uh it it completely changes them and in some cases uh can even drive them to become more primitive so you know this is without a doubt as far as we know the most influential creatures in the story um and i know that you had some points you wanted to bring up and i'm kind of curious to hear your theories because i i've rolled around with a few of them but none of them really are very satisfying so i'm curious to hear somebody else's point of view on the lion turtles and uh and their roles in the world so i i I know like there there's a fantastic video um that uh if any of our listeners have ever uh, i know uh, chris and i just kind of geeked out about this like last week or so (laughs) um there's a fantastic youtuber um it's uh hello future me um and his name is tim and he is an um he's just an amazing just writer and just researcher of avatar and how to train your dragon and tolkien and he did this uh whole video on kind of his theory about the lion turtles 
being part of like this avatar creation myth. Um, I, I won't kind of dive into that, but I would definitely recommend checking that out. But I, I think what we can kind of pull from that in like the terms of the lion turtles having this significant impact on the humans, giving them bending and their impact on the world as a whole is that they are these beings that I think shaped so much of what became reality in the avatar world. Um, both not only with humans, but also with spirits. And what my whole theory, and it's more kind of about the spirits um, vis-a-vis the lion turtles, but like in Legend of Korra, we see a spirit dash through a human. And that human becomes half human, half spirit, and becomes this kind of like hybrid. And my theory is, is that you had these different spirits who were representative of these animals and maybe they dashed through these particular animals in the world and that was how they became more of these hybrids and from there they kind of like started breeding and like you know we know that spirits are very mischievous and if they can see that they have this ability to like kind of mess with these like creatures of the world to create these kind of different um you know, types of animals. My theory is that like that was them messing around and creating this, but why we still have normal animals like, like Bosco. And that was just a particular animal that the spirits didn't mess with. That begs so many other biological questions. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm not gonna. Yeah. You're right on that. (laughs) Like there are so many things I wonder, like, because so there are some theories and a lot of these theories have arisen recently because animals are declining and when animals decline to a certain number you know how how small can a population get before they reach a genetic bottleneck where no matter how hard they try uh they're not genetically diverse enough to protect themselves so cheetahs are a really good example uh at some point in cheetah history, the animals decline so severely that they have lost a lot of genetic diversity and they are in a genetic bottleneck right now. So what happens is uh, the benefit to genetic diversity is it means that you have a lot of those random, spontaneous, small adaptations popping up here and there, and they either stick or they don't. And the ones that stick might turn into new adaptations that they're beneficial and animals can overcome challenges, blah, blah, blah. Um, Just general evolution stuff, that whole natural selection. Uh, Cheetahs struggle with this because they're too closely related and they're not different enough from each other, essentially. Um, So the fear is, is that any major change to the world and especially to their ecosystems, uh, they would not be adapted enough to help themselves change and overcome that. So any major disease or things like climate change uh, could easily result in wiping out cheetahs because they're simply not uh, diverse enough to overcome these challenges anymore. Hmm. Um, So if the spirits did indeed do that, um, for me, from a biological standpoint, they would have to do it consistently to enough of the same species of animal to create a new population, whether it's all of the existing animals or just a big enough size. There's a lot of debate between uh, scientists and researchers as to what the exact size is that you need to have enough genetic diversity to maintain a population safely. 
Um, it does partially depend on how fast the animals reproduce as well. Uh, prey animals, of course, typically reproduce really fast and have lots of babies to where predators will usually reproduce a little bit slower and have less offspring. Um, so it really depends on which animals they're influencing. But uh, yeah, the, I, if, if that theory were true, I, I, would, I would certainly have a lot of questions about how the spirits had to have meticulously planned out their mischief in this case to make it actually work out. You know, because if it's one-off animal, of course, nothing's probably going to happen unless they can pass that trait to their offspring and, the, and their offspring can mate and spread it. Like, that would be one thing. But if we're talking only the individuals who are affected by the spirits can have that and their offspring can only, you know, be with others of the same kind and can no longer... Uh, mate with other animals that are non-hybridized animals. Uh, it's uh, biology is really complex, and so <laughs> it, it does get a little tricky. I mean, it is fantasy, so obviously we have to leave some to the imagination at this point. Um, and I'm fine with that. I enjoy the series because it was a fantasy series, and not because it was necessarily a cartoon wildlife documentary. <laughs> <laughs> So, so I, you know, and with that too, you know, the, the, this idea of the lion turtles, um, you know, giving bending and, and everything, I, I think, uh, you know, we, we kind of had this towards the end of the outline as well. And what I really want to hear your thoughts on too, are these, the original bender animals? Um, so the four forms of bending, um, as we learned throughout the show were, uh, basically influenced from four distinct animals uh, from what we know. The first are dragons, which of course influenced firebending. Uh, the badger moles um, with earthbending. Um, the flying bison with airbending. And then there is the koi fish with Tui and La, who are kind of touted as the original waterbenders. Um, so I don't know. I mean, like, especially knowing what we know with, like, with Korra, that, like, humans were gifted bending abilities from uh you know the lion turtles is this more of like these are symbolic and what people learn from and like you know what that kind of means in terms of their role in the animal world well and and i was thinking of that too and every time i think about it it, it i change my thoughts on it because there's there's a lot of potential with that it's really interesting so looking at the animals um None of these animals seem to be true hybrids at the very least. I mean, I can't tell with dragons if I'm being honest, just because dragons are dragons and they've always been their own thing. Um, but Twee and La are obviously koi fish. The badger moles, I would argue they're just moles that have badger coloration. And then uh, I don't even know what to tell you about Appa. Um, <laughs> Appa is a really fascinating creature. And if we have time, I definitely want to get to some of his most interesting features. Um, but... I do wonder, though, so as far as we know, no other animals within the natural world have the bending ability outside of these specific individuals. Aside from humans, these four symbolic animals are the only ones we know of who have the ability to bend outside of the spirit world. Um, so it is a curious thing, like were they were they selected from other animals to be the bearers of these gifts because they were so closely connected to uh, the heart of the bending? Because as we go through the series, um, while we're very often sifting through 
uh, how butchered bendings become and trying to find the roots of it. So um, a really great example is when Aang and Zuko do meet the two dragons um, who show them the multicolored fire and, 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 you know, Zuko finally has his revelation that fire doesn't have to be this destructive thing. It can be something that helps uh, give and bring life to the world. Um, so it is curious, were they selected or were they created? Are they literally their own avatars to the bending? Um, mm. Because the lion turtles obviously possess just energy bending like they are the ultimate benders uh they are in a sense the avatars of uh the non-humanoid uh, uh uh creatures but when we look at the the dragons and the badger moles the koi fish and uh the flying bison um they they fully embody what the bending spirit is supposed to be um or at least they're supposed to um and it's really cool because, you know, when we first see ba- we meet badger moles before we meet Toph. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, because in the cave of two lovers. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And 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 it and it it made complete sense when I saw it. It's like, oh, of course, these creatures live underground. They would be highly attuned to the vibrations. You know, we see a lot of earth bending throughout the series, but until we meet the badger moles and then eventually Toph we don't really see the heart of earth bending and actually listening to the earth and, and being able to help anticipate things because you're in tune with your element. Um, you know, it, it does make me wonder, I would really love to see origin stories, uh, for bending in the natural world, not just when it was gifted to people, but how these animals came about, you know, were they gifted it because they embodied it or were they created to embody the bending? Uh, Mm. we don't know. Hmm. So I, you know, that I, I, that raises just so many wonderful questions. I love it. But (laughs) I, I, I really, cause you know, we're, we're starting to kind of like wind, wind down with this. I, I do want to take this time to talk about Appa and the flying bison, because Ah. as you said, he is like the first just like amazing creature that we see in the show. And he is this beloved creature and it what's what makes Appa's Lost Day is the saddest episode of almost oh any God. episode of television. I like I have such a hard time revisiting that and it's just always so painful because he's he's just got such a big heart. <laughs> Fun fact real quick just because that reminded me of something for anybody who's like me and hates watching movies where animals die. While this is not a definitive guide, there is literally a website called Did They Kill the Dog? Or do they kill the dog? <laughs> and it will tell you if the dog dies in the movie. So if you don't want to watch the dog die, you can know ahead of time. <laughs> that is my Bible for watching movies. Oh, <laughs> I don't want to watch the dog die. <laughs> and Op's last days really did tear me apart. I mean, there really are some heart wrenching moments. Um, but Oppa's la- oh my God. <laughs> okay. Bring it back in. Professional face, game face. Um <laughs> So I did want to quickly delve into something about Appa because Appa, despite, I don't believe Appa is a true hybrid. He exhibits perfectly normal uh, mammalian features, um, you know, as a bison or at least something based off bison, he has horns. I don't mind his whole like flattened tail that's used as like a bit of a propeller rudder kind of thing. Um, and then of course there's the fact that he flies without wings, but if they are original airbenders, as we see later in Korra, airbenders are capable of flight um the most 
insane thing about Appa that sets him apart from everything. I mean, the normal animals, the hybrid-like, true hybrids, everything, is he is perfectly mammalian, but he has six legs. Hmm. If you look at every mammalian animal on this planet, none of them go past four legs. Um, no living vertebrate has has evolved to, to possess more than four limbs at a time. Um, and and when we watch the series, all of the other animals, all the other vertebrates follow this. Never more than four limbs, as far as I know. I mean, who knows? Maybe I missed somebody in the corner of my eye. But as far as I could tell, everybody we saw in the series has four or two pairs of legs. Huh. And that the is reason <laughs> it, it, it well, what's even crazier is why we don't. I mean, when you think about the breadth of animals who live their entire lives walking around on four limbs, why don't six limbs exist? And there's a lot of reasons why, aside from the fact that it's, it's probably not actually that comfortable to try to run with six legs. Um, it requires it's it's just unnecessary. Uh, four legs has produced uh, some pretty incredible animals. I mean, if we're talking about speed and we're looking at the cheetah, it's a ridiculously fast animal. If we're talking about animals with height, we have giraffes. If we're talking about animals that are powerful, we have rhinos, we have elephants. Like, plenty of animals have four legs, don't really need six, and are still pretty cool. Um, if they were to develop these additional limbs, uh, the, I mean, just looking at how the physiology would change, I mean, physically you would need a larger heart or even multiple hearts, which is a thing. Um, Hmm. you might need bigger lungs, bigger nasal cavities to take in more air to be able to get enough oxygen to your blood to support your body. Um, the neurological system, our brains would have to be altered, uh, possibly expanded to uh, allow for the control of these additional limbs. Um, it, it's it's really not something we see outside of the invertebrates, because obviously, like we mentioned earlier, insects and other animals do have multiple legs, but their neurological system is completely different from ours. Um, most insects don't have a, a true brain the way we do. Uh, instead, they have clusters of neurons in the form of ganglia, which are kind of like a, a pseudo brain of sorts. Hmm. Uh, so it does kind of the job of a brain, but it, it, it's it's not broken down the same way that ours is. And in some cases, they might have multiple ganglia. So if we call the ganglia a brain, you'll sometimes see things that say, oh, cockroaches have two brains. Eh, they, don't, they don't have two brains like we do. They have two ganglia and uh, <laughs> they serve as brains. Um but invertebrates have to make up for their body types with a very different setup, essentially. Um, it, it's it's hard for me to even think of a metaphor to compare it with. Um, but, I mean, some people, if, if they're old enough, I guess, might might kind of recognize this a little bit. But it's like, it, it, it's, it's if you took the difference between driving a stick and an automatic and multiplied that tenfold, that difficulty of switching back and forth between the two. I mean, wow. some people are really good at it, but most of us <laughs> cannot <laughs> jump between stick and automatic that easily. It does require uh, a, a different form of concentration. You know, with stick, you have a lot more going on, a lot more you have to focus on and take care of. So our automatics are a little bit easier. It's more streamlined and more efficient. So we would be the automatic vehicles and insects would be the stick shift. <laughs> ah, okay. There are very different features to help control that system than there is in the automatic 
Um, so to me, Appa is literally probably the most fascinating animal in the series simply for that feature, because as fantastic as everything else is, that's probably one of the most impossible traits to ever find in a vertebrate animal group. Wow. That's pretty crazy. Cause you know, when you think of Appa, you think like he can fly. That's insane. But I never <laughs> thought like just him having six legs was just something I just so easily and readily accepted. But like, I had no idea. Like I just didn't piece it together that that was just so fantastic and uncommon with that. That's, that's amazing. Yep. So, you know, like I said, I mean, I'm, I'm totally fine with him flying. I'm fine with all of his features, but his, his, you know, the first time I watched the series, it didn't bother me. But after I started down my path with animals and I revisited the series and I'm just like, why does Appa have six legs? Is that even a thing that can happen? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I know that like, I'm pretty sure that when they mentioned uh, in terms of like Appa's like influence, um, they, they also kind of, in a lot of like the early drawings of Sky Bison, um, they they also kind of cited like manatees as like an influence in terms of the design, um, just kind of being these like gentle giants and especially with like the way that their uh, like tails kind of like come out and everything, too. So I don't know. I mean, like with what we've discussed tonight, I mean, is that that kind of falls in more of like the first category of uh, what we talked about and just more like hybrid like or. Absolutely. It, mm. it really would. You know, they're still very mammalian features and they're perfectly natural features and it makes sense. Um, some of the features we see in animals that fly and swim are very similar. Uh, they have very streamlined bodies and they will develop these adaptations. A really cool example is birds. You know, bird, when we think of birds, we think of how they've dominated the sky, but they've dominated the land and the sea as well to a smaller degree. And if you ever watch a penguin or a puffin swimming in water they are basically still flying they're just doing it under the water it's the same trait with the wings it's the same motion to fly um uh, some of the adaptations that they simply have is that their bones might be a little bit heavier uh to the point where with like uh, penguins they can't even fly anymore with puffins it is limited flight um they have more paddle-like feet and stuff like that. But, I mean, for the most part, a lot of their bird-like structure is all still there. So it was a very small change between dominating the sky and dominating the sea. So it makes complete sense to me that they would take an oceanic animal like manatees and borrow a feature for an animal that's going to be up in the sky because the features are essentially the same in a lot of animals. Huh. Very cool. Uh, so before we wrap things out, I had this idea, uh, um, what I want to do is, uh, we are going to do a rapid, uh, rapid round of classification. Uh, so I am going to run through some of the avatar animals here and then <laughs> I, uh, I want to have you, uh, just kind of rattle off the, uh, classification based on our discussion. All right. All right. Are you ready? I'm going to try my best. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The eel hound. You said the eel hound? The eel hound. Uh, what they, eel hound. Yeah, what they write at um, the end, uh, in the end of the series. Oh, right, yeah. That thing's almost strictly reptilian. Like, even though it has eel and hound, which is a fish and a dog, that is almost strictly a reptilian animal. I would probably call that hybrid-like. Okay. Gorilla goat. That one is definitely hybrid-like, um, but I have to say, Flopsy is a, is a mystical creature to me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
Uh, okay, uh, platypus bear. You know, that one is, is hybrid-like too, but at the same time, platypuses are such strange animals with the fact that they lay eggs in their mammals. Like, there's a part of me that... I believe platypuses are true hybrids <laughs> in our real world. They are a true hybrid animal. All right. Uh, next is the vulture griffin. Uh, vulture griffin, uh, that one is a true hybrid. It has a bird-like front half and a um, mammal-like back half, so that would fall under the true hybrids. Very cool. Um, and then we'll get into the iguana parrot. Uh, this is our bejeweled monkey alert. We have the pirates here. They're representing. <laughs> <laughs> the jeweled monkey is mythical. Uh, the iguana parrot, uh, that one is definitely a, a true hybrid between uh, reptiles and birds. Okay. And how about the saber-toothed moose lion? Uh, the saber-toothed moose lion is actually probably not a true hybrid. It is probably just a, a regular hybrid because... Um, all of those are mammal features. All of those are very mammalian. And I, my theory is just that if you ever met a moose in real life, you do not mess with a moose. No, I would not be shocked if a moose developed scarier features. And I mean, there are, uh, deer that have fangs in the world. That is an actual thing. So the idea of a moose developing large canine like teeth, like a saber tooth is actually not that far fetched. That is actually a perfectly reasonable thing, believe it or not. Wow. Uh, and then, uh, we got two more here. Uh, the sheer shoe, which is uh, beloved. Nyla. Oh, <laughs> I know. And the sheer, the sheer shoe is such a fascinating animal. I am pretty sure it is hybrid like, but I do wish that we learned more about the sheer shoe because there are some features about it that are reminiscent of non mammalian animals. But as far as we can see, for the most part, everything about the sheer shoe is mammalian. Uh, it's a really tricky anteater mole, just really strange creature. <laughs> yes. Uh, and uh, the last one is a wolf bat. Uh, the wolf bats would actually be uh, hybrid-like. And um, while obviously we don't have anything quite like that, um, one really cool bat we have in the world is called the flying fox. Um very often when we see the really adorable looking like dog, like sky puppy videos of bats, those are flying foxes. Um, so when we think of bats, we often think of like the snub nosed giant eared bats, but bats are actually very diverse and they've taken on some really interesting body types. And, uh, when I first saw the wolf bats, my first thought was somebody heard the term flying fox and thought, how can I make that cooler? <laughs> they came up with wolf bat. Yes. Awesome. Oh, that was, that was excellent. And uh, I do want to give a shout out, um, to, um, this, uh, artist on DeviantArt that I found, uh, Trooper 1212. Uh, they did a, this extensive, like illustration, uh, compilation of all of the different animals from the avatar world. The, they are absolutely beautiful and just like, just such a great representation of this incredibly diverse, amazing, just world of animals that is so much a part of this like avatar world and what really makes it unique. We've talked about uh, over the course of this podcast, just so many of the elements that make this show unique. But I think as we kind of discovered, like it is something that is so unbelievably creative and so like new is this idea of all of these different types of hybrid animals and the roles that they play in the world, the roles that they play in the story, whether it's just a passing joke 
or whether they are a main plot point for an episode um, or the definition of a particular form of bending. These animals are clearly such an integral part of this show, as we discussed earlier, built into the DNA with that initial sketch that Mike and Brian made. And yeah, ah, just so cool. So what are, what are some of your uh, final thoughts uh, just kind of wrapping this up and any new insights that you had from uh, diving into this research and uh, just kind of discussing it all. I mean, it's it was a lot of fun doing my homework for this particular talk because one, I mean, we, we see glimpses of things, but it's really easy to overlook some of the small nuances and l- little Easter eggs and things that are kind of sprinkled throughout the series. Um but when I sat down and looked through looked through the articles and like wiki pages and stuff that people have uh, compiled of all the animals, I mean the breadth of it is pretty impressive. There really are a lot of animals that are presented, and some of it starts to make sense because uh, we also see uh, culturally va- value in all these animals too, um, especially as we go through the two different series. Um, in the first series, there was obviously very strong focus on very specific animals like Appa, Momo, uh, the Komodo rhinos, ostrich horses, uh, so on and so forth. And then we're introduced to completely new animals in the next part of the series uh, with Pabu, who is one of our very rare, regular animals. Um, and, yes. you know, uh, Naga. And, and it, it really, it does enrich it, you know. And I think that that harkens a lot to uh, both the fact that it's a fantasy and also the fact that it's based off of very specific cultures and in almost every human culture, animals are at the heart of a lot of cultures, whether it's totem animals, animals that end up in mythologies that, that, that create these, uh, that make these decisions that create huge changes in the course of the world's history, animals that create the world, whether it's a turtle carrying the world or a duck's egg breaking a cosmic duck, like, Animals are at the heart of everything. So it's been really cool kind of delving into this and really getting to see uh, how much appreciation animals get and how much influence animals actually play in the series uh, for the cultures and the characters. Awesome. Ah, Well, uh, Kristen, thank you so much for all of the like time and effort that you put into researching this. I feel like I have learned so much. I hope our listeners have learned a lot too, because this has been so cool to get to not only dive into the, uh, you know, all these animals in the show, but just learn more about just kind of a lot of the animals in our own world and some of that. Um, and I, I really want to uh, just like, you know, also uh, let everyone know, we mentioned earlier that uh, Kristen has a Facebook and Instagram uh, called The Nagging Naturalist. Uh, so definitely check that out because um, I follow that and I just love all of the different animals and stuff that you post on there and always just so much information and everything. So if this interested you, I would like highly encourage you guys to check that out to, to learn more. Um, and uh, of course, with uh, Legend of Portalcast, you can find us um, across the social medias, uh, we're on Twitter at Portalcast Pod. Uh, we're on Instagram and Facebook at Legend of Portalcast, and our website legendofportalcast.com. And of course, you can reach us out there on all those social media, or you can email us at legendofportalcast at gmail.com. Um, and uh, like I said, this was so much fun, and I think that we're going to be we're going to be doing more of this. I think in the future, uh, tapping into everyone's kind of unique. 
uh, like fields of study because I think that's one of the coolest part about being adults looking back at this show is all the stuff that we've learned and how we can apply it to revisiting this show. And I totally agree with that. Like, I am super stoked to hear what some of the other uh, members of our our talks have have to contribute because everybody is so unique and has such cool backgrounds. And uh, it's it's going to be amazing hearing from everybody else. Cool. All right. Well, Kristen, thank you so much again for all of this and for joining me tonight for this podcast. Um, and uh, thank you to all the listeners uh, tuning in. And I also want to announce uh, we are now officially on Spotify. Uh, I was able to add our podcast to Spotify. Um, so if you do not prefer uh, using uh, Apple Podcasts or uh, Stitcher, you can find us now on Spotify to listen to podcasts. Um, so if you do add us, we encourage the same thing with uh, Apple Podcasts. Uh, leave us a rating and review. It helps in terms of getting our name out there with everything. And uh, any words of encouragement are always appreciated. Uh, But thank you all so much for tuning in, and until next time, let us leave.